0: Well, we continue today looking at the Apostles Creed, and uh, as we do so this morning we're looking at that phrase, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now this is one of the key affirmations of the Apostles Creed, and it's Also, one of the most neglected areas of the Christian faith, and it just puzzles me because it is just where we see God identifying with humankind in such a way that whenever Jesus ascended into heaven, he took his body with him. And a human body is now a part of the Godhead. That's how much he cares about people. It's not just everything else in the whole wide world. People are so important to him. You are so important to him, but you know, it just seems that nobody, and I I guess it's because they have enough trouble with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And you'll see tremendous debates going on about whether those things ever even really happened. And so They never even want to address his ascending into heaven, because if you acknowledge that, you've got to acknowledge what went on before. And so uh, I guess you could say it this way to the church as a whole. Nowadays, it just doesn't seem that important. And to me, that's really sad. You know, we know that Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead for our salvation. And we know that we couldn't be saved without Good Friday or Easter Sunday. And so where does the ascension fit in? That's what I want us to look at this morning. Because to many people, it just seems like a PS to the main message of the gospel instead of being a part of the message of the gospel. But you see, a quick glance at church history shows us that our forebears in the faith considered this extremely important. For one thing, every major Christian creed includes the ascension of Jesus. You find it in the Apostles' Creed, you find it in the Nicene Creed, and you find it in the Athanasian Creed. The liturgical calendar always includes Ascension Day, And that's always on a Thursday. It's always 40 days following Easter. And this year, Ascension Day will fall on May the 10th. The Ascension is talked about in both the Old and New Testaments. And it kind of brings it all together because we see the author of Hebrews talking about the job that was described for the uh, priests in Leviticus as being completed by Jesus. We see in the law the type and the model that of Jesus making sacrifice on behalf of the people and then going into the holy of holies and taking the blood. But then we see that he sits down. You know there were no chairs in the tabernacle. There were no chairs because the priest's job was an endless one. People kept on sinning and animals had to keep on being slaughtered and offered for sacrifice. But Jesus' sacrifice was a full and perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. His ascension just brings this all together. And the fact that God uh, had a place for him had a place for him right beside him. You ever walk in a room where there's a lot of people and maybe you don't know many people there and you look around in the crowd and then you see someone and they've got a place for you. Makes you feel good when somebody has a place for you, doesn't it? Well, whenever Jesus got to heaven, God had a place for him right by his right hand. Well, there are all sorts of verses in the Bible that talk about this, but I find it striking that the creed gives as much space to the ascension as it does to the cross and to the resurrection. And uh, I want us to look at this since it's so important this morning and just uh, kind of ask three questions and get answers to them. First of all, what happened? Where did he go? And what's he doing now? And so, uh, first of all, what happened? We've affirmed it already. He ascended into heaven. Here's what we know about the event itself. While Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Bethany, several miles east of Jerusalem, he blesses them, and then he's taken up into heaven right before their eyes. They were there. They saw it. It really happened. And it wasn't just a figment of their imagination or a dream or a vision. Unlike the resurrection, which no one saw as it was happening, the disciples actually saw Jesus go bodily up into heaven. Luke says in both his gospel and in Acts that Jesus was taken up into heaven. And the verb has the idea of being lifted straight up into the air. They saw him rise and they saw him disappear into a cloud and uh, it kept on rising. They couldn't see him anymore at all. He ascended bodily, not as a spirit, but in his glorified body, the same body that was crucified, the same body that was raised incorruptible. In that body, our Lord ascended into heaven. So what are we to make of this? When Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room, he emphasized that he was returning to his Father in heaven. In John sixteen twenty-eight, he says that he left his Father to come to earth, and now he leaves the earth to return to his Father. We can summarize our Lord's life thus far by saying, at first he was in heaven, then he came to earth, and now he is in heaven once again. By means of the ascension, Jesus' triumphant return to heaven signified that the days of his suffering were over. The days of his humiliation were over. No more crown of thorns, no more vicious insults, no more beatings, no more cruel scourging, no more crowds screaming for his blood, no more betrayal, no more mocking. No one now spits in his face. Never again will nails be driven into his hands and his feet, and never again will a spear be thrust into his side. Never again will he cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Never again will his mother stand there and weep as he dies. Never again will his dead body be taken down from a cross and never again will it be prepared for burial. Never again will he spend a night in a tomb. Jesus was all done with tomb time. Death and the grave are behind him now forever. He who suffered more than any man will never suffer again. But there's more to consider. Because Jesus has returned to heaven, he is now liberated from time and space limitations. Have you ever wished that you could spend time with Jesus face to face? When I was a kid, I used to think about thinking, you know, man, if I could have just been there. And now I wonder which crowd I would be in. Would I have been in that jeering crowd? Or would I have been in that crowd that was still following him to the very end? But you know, the thing is, even though we all have this longing, this longing to be close to Jesus. And he told his disciples it was expedient for him to go away. And the reason why was so that he would be loosed from the bonds of time and space and could be with each one of us in the most personal and intimate way ever Through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And so now he can be here with us in this room with us while we worship him at the same time that he's in another church somewhere else down the street worshiping him. And he can be in Schenectady in a church there worshiping him. He can be in Paris, France, while they're worshiping him, all at the same time through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He's been loosed. He's free. And now then he can be with us in a way that is closer than he could ever be if we were looking at him face to face. And if you have experienced the power and the presence and the infilling of his Holy Spirit, which comes to each one that asks him to come in, then you know that presence, and you know that that presence, that loving kindness is better than life and makes life worth living and assures you that life goes on forever. Well, where did he go? He went to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. The New Testament uses three words to describe Jesus and his status in heaven. Now he is exalted. He is glorified and he is enthroned. In the ancient world, when a king wished to honor someone, he offered them a seat at his right hand. That seat was the highest seat, the greatest honor and the supreme glory that a king could confer on anyone. So what does it mean to say that our Lord is now seated at the Father's right hand? First, it means he has a permanent place in heaven. When he returned in triumph, he was given a permanent place next to the Father's throne. Our Lord didn't have to search for a seat. It was ready for him. When he arrived, there was a place waiting for him. That place at the father's right hand is his forever. And and the fact that the father gives it to him seals everything that he said that he was about here on earth. It seals every promise and lets us know that it's all so. Second, it means that his work of redemption is now complete while he was on earth. He spoke often of the work of the Father. His work came to a climax when he hung on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. The Bible says when he died, he became sin for us. When he died, God poured out his wrath on Jesus, even though Jesus was perfect and pure and wholly innocent. But as the sinless substitute, He took the punishment that I should have received so that I could go free and so that you could go free. Just before he died, he cried, it is finished, which literally means paid in full. The work was done. The debt was paid. And if I have received and you have received the work that he did on the cross as done on your behalf, then you can never be charged and I can never be charged with the guilt of my sins because Jesus paid it all. The ascension signifies that the Father has accepted the work of the Son. Since God has accepted Jesus, nothing more can be added to what he did when he died on the cross And rose from the dead In the book of Hebrews We're reminded Like I said earlier That there are no chairs in the tabernacle Because the priests weren't allowed to sit down That wasn't in their job description They stood to perform their work Because their work was never done Every day The priest would kill another animal Signifying that the price of sin had not yet been satisfied. But when Jesus returned to heaven, he sat down because he had offered himself as the one sacrifice of sin forever. Thank God Jesus is seated in heaven. Lastly, it means that he is now in the place of supreme and highest honor in the entire universe. God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Na- at the name of Jesus, it says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Consider what that means. The victim is now the victor. The crown of thorns has been replaced by the crown of eternal glory. The spear has been replaced with the scepter of regal authority. By seating his son at his right hand, the father says to the world, my son has been completely vindicated. Now at last, Jesus receives what he truly deserves. He didn't deserve to be mistreated. He didn't deserve to be mocked and humiliated. He didn't deserve to be betrayed. He didn't deserve the hammer and the nails. He didn't deserve the criminal's death. He didn't deserve to be buried in a borrowed tomb. But now at last, our Lord receives what he deserves. Glory, loud and honor we're told that he emptied himself of the outward trappings of deity in order to take on the form of a person like us. He humbled himself by leaving the palaces of heaven to be born in an humble stable in Bethlehem. He veiled his glory to live a life of humiliation. All of us feel that it was unfair to, For the king of kings to be treated so rudely by those that he came to save? Do you recall that as he hung on the cross, onlookers jeered as his life ebbed away. They laughed at his pain and they cried, if you are the son of God, save yourself. The ascension means that Jesus has been vindicated in all that he came to do. And his days of humiliation are over forever. In 1871, Francis Ridley Havergal wrote an ascension hymn called Golden Harps Are Sounding. That just brings this truth all together. Golden harps are sounding. Angels' voices sing. Pearly gates are opened. Opened for the king. Jesus, king of glory. Jesus, king of love, is gone up in triumph to his throne above. He who came to save us, he who bled and died, now is crowned with glory at his father's side. From the grave arisen nevermore to die. Jesus, king of glory, is gone up on high, pleading for his children in that blessed place, calling them to glory, sending them his grace, his bright home, preparing faithful ones for you. Jesus ever liveth, ever loveth too. All his suffering ended. Joyfully we sing, Jesus hath ascended. Glory to our King. So what's He doing now? This is where the truth of Christ's ascension touches everyday life in such a real way. First, because He lived on the earth and endured deep suffering, He knows what you're going through. Some of you know what it's like to be jeered, to be betrayed, to be mocked, to uh, have people just do all sorts of things trying to humiliate you. Well, he knows about that. He knows what it's like. Second, because he's now in heaven, he intercedes for us with the Father. The word intercede means to speak up on behalf of someone else. Jesus is now in heaven praying for us. Hebrews four fourteen through 16 calls Jesus a great high priest who has gone into heaven it says, seeing then that we have such a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because he walked on earth with us, he knows what we're going through, and he's able to sympathize with us in our struggles. because Because he is now in heaven, he can help us in all our troubles. When we go to the throne of grace, we don't have to worry about being turned away because Jesus himself is the one that's there to meet us. His grace to help he has for us in time of need. Whenever you're in trouble, you need two things. Sharon and I were talking about this on the way in. We were talking about a woman who was driving along the car over on Cypress Fairbanks the other day. And looked down, and there was a snake on the seat beside her and another one in the floorboard. Somehow she got home, and it was a uh, uh, her sister was sending out word through a community bu- bulletin board Does anybody know anybody that can get a snake out of a car for us? And uh, there were some people that just basically laughed, they couldn't do anything about it, and they didn't care. There were others. That suggested that they burn the car. Uh, there were others that suggested that they just pull it over the side of the road, leave it, and report it stolen. Uh, there were uh, all sorts of suggestions for that were not all that helpful. And then there were those people that said, If you haven't found anybody yet, I can come get them out for you. That's the sort that Jesus is like. That's the sort that's like Jesus. He cares, and he's able, and he's willing. That's the sort of friend that you want. There's a song about friends in high places. Well, we have a friend in a very high place, and he's there for each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that... uh, Oh, you have sent Jesus, and now you have received Jesus. And in receiving him, you received the price that he paid on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, God, for making it all possible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.